Imagine learning in a small group intimate setting while exploring unique European locations. EU Vet CE Experiences offers race-approved CE seminars that combine half-day lectures with time to relax and discover captivating cultures. The CE sessions are delivered in English, allowing you to elevate your career while vacationing with loved ones. Experience the perfect blend of learning and luxury at EU Vet CE Experiences interactive seminars in hand-picked European destinations. Elevate your knowledge and recharge simultaneously. Visit euveterinaryce.com to learn more. It was a leap of faith for me because, you know, I was making financially enough to feel comfortable that it wasn't a just a totally irresponsible decision to make the leap from my full-time job to my entrepreneurial endeavors. But it also, you know, it's different when you when you're kind of going from that security of insurance and, you know, schedule like to your own thing was a a little bit scary, but that was the next step. Welcome to the Vet Life Reimagined podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories from all across the veterinary profession. Today, I have Dr. Kate Baker, who is a veterinary pathologist and entrepreneur through and through. From huge Facebook community to pathology app to now Vet Hive, a community for veterinary professionals from vet students to specialists. The conversation happened before VetHive was available, but now you can join. I'll make sure to provide all the links in the description. I admire Kate for her caring nature and her worker bee ethic to stay true to theme. She has a wonderful ability to create safe, thriving, and fun communities. Here is Kate Baker. Well, Kate, I am so excited to have you as a guest on the podcast. Um, we have spoken a couple of times previously, and I, I really feel like we've clicked. I think we have a lot of similar values and both very entrepreneurial minded. So I'm excited to share your really cool story with everyone as a unique path in veterinary medicine. So when did you know you wanted to get into veterinary medicine? Oh, Let's see, how far back do we want to go? <laughs> uh, so I wasn't one of those really young kids that wanted to be a vet. I actually, um, I remember doing a school project when I was in elementary or middle school that I, I thought I wanted to be a prosecuting attorney. I remember doing this project mm -hmm. and that was what I put on my poster board. I had no idea what that even meant. So that didn't last very long, but it wasn't veterinarian. Uh, veterinary medicine came into my sphere of what I potentially might want to do um, in high school. I was kind of just exploring summer jobs. I uh, ended up working at a veterinary hospital as a kennel technician and thought it was really cool, like what the vet was doing and started becoming interested in, in, you know, kind of hanging out around him. And he was really gracious to let me go into rooms with him, even though, you know, I just, my job was to take the dogs out and wait for them to poop. So, you know, it was really nice of him to pull me into that, into that world and let me kind of see what, what it was all about. And I became really interested in it at that point. So around 15, 16 is when I really decided that I wanted to go to vet school. I went into um, undergrad as pre-vet and I, I was pre-vet for most of the time. I explored other, I think a lot of us explore other things too, you know, kind of go, okay, do I definitely want to do pre-vet? Like, do I definitely want to go to vet school or, you know, maybe human medicine? Or I, I looked at a few different things just to make sure that I really wanted to go to vet school. And it, I kept coming back to that. But towards the end of my undergrad, I became super interested in 
the high level science classes I was taking, like um, embryology, molecular biology, uh, histology, all of those traditionally very difficult, but in my opinion, very interesting subjects. And so I was like, oh man, I really like these classes, but you know, how does this intertwine with my plan to go to vet school? And I was, you know, a junior at this point. And so, you know, obviously those sciences are very important to practice a vet med, but I was, I was, you know, exploring kind of what are the options inside vet med that, that I could have more of this particular area of, of what I'm interested in. So I found out about veterinary pathology before I even went into vet school. And so I knew I wanted to be a pathologist while going into vet school. So it was at that point that I decided I wanted to be a veterinary pathologist. <laughs> so I knew before, um, before going to vet school that I, that I didn't really want to practice and that I wanted to go into pathology. And that's what I did. Yeah. Well, you were one of the few then who went in with an idea of what you might do and actually mm-hmm. came out <laughs> as a yeah. pathologist. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's a really interesting story. So I'd actually like you to to say more on that because, you know, there's many people that go into vet school and they have no idea about specialties mm-hmm. or all the different things. So most I would say, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So how did you get that exposure? How How did you find out, you know, about specializing in embryology or pathology? Yeah. Uh, good old Google. Okay. <laughs> Just that this, the same way that, um, honestly kind of ties into everything that I do now and, and how I, how I find, you know, these alternative paths in our career and this whole entrepreneurial thing, um, which I know we'll get to, but, Google. Honestly, I, I I just started Googling, you know, veterinary medicine. And I don't remember the exact keywords I used at the time, but I went, I went to an internet search to see, you know, what pops up when I type in these things, you know, is there a particular area in vet med that focuses on this? And, and that's how I came across that it existed because, you know, I had undergrad mentors, but they were not, you know, they don't have particular strong um, knowledge of the different specialties that exist. So really didn't have a specific source of information of that. So the internet, (laughs) and when I say it ties into kind of what, you know, what I do now, like any, anytime I'm, I'm interested in pursuing something new, I just honestly, I take to the internet and kind of see what, what's out there. And, and just as you've done, you and I, again, we've talked about this, this kind of thing, like we just sort of are curious and interested in what kind of things we can do and offer. And that's how I, I learn everything. I just start Googling. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a pitch for Google. But we all do that. <laughs> we are not sponsored. No. <laughs> no, um, no. I wish, you know, Google, that'd be a, that'd be a big sponsor. <laughs> yeah. That, hey, if you, if you hear, yes. If you're listening, I'm Google. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open. You ended up going to vet school at the University of Tennessee. And then you also mm-hmm. ended up doing a, a master's at the University of Illinois as well. So what was kind of that journey? Why did you decide to do a, a master's as part of your your path? So I, I did my, um, yeah, my vet school at University of Tennessee. Then I went on and did a one-year small animal rotating internship in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went on and did my residency in clinical pathology, which is combined with a master's degree. Oh. So with a lot of residencies, uh, well, I can speak to the pathology residencies. With the pathology residencies, they are typically, if not always, 
combined with some degree. So whether it be a master's or a PhD, so you kind of have to choose. Uh, I chose to go the master's route and not the PhD route. And there's a number of reasons for that, but mostly I PhDs are for anybody listening that's done a PhD or knows somebody that's done a PhD. They're a huge amount of work and I'm definitely not allergic to work, but it's not the type of work that I wanted to do. I, I don't have interest in a, a research career. So master's fit better for me. So it was a, it was um, just a different route, but it was attached to my residency program. Okay. I did not know that about mm-hmm. the pathology residency. So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And you're very good at Googling <laughs> and knowing your options. You know, you're, you're, you're starting to wrap up your residency and your master's program. How do you decide the next step of your, your career? Oh, yeah. The big, um, infamous, like step into the big world. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this was an interesting process for me as it is for really anybody, no matter if you're going from residency to job or from vet school to job, you know, you have to weigh all the options, um, of what you want to do, what your life circumstances are. So for me, I, uh, was newly married at the time and my husband is also a veterinarian. So he, he and I um, both are from Tennessee and have family in Tennessee. And so ge- geography played a big role in what we, where we wanted to, you know, what our jobs would be. We wanted to be closer to our families or as close to our families as possible. So we did a lot of exploring on what kind of opportunities were out there. This is the start of kind of the creative part of not just being, um, not just accepting kind of the offers that were out there or just not accepting like, this is, you know, here are the job offers out there and this is what I have to pick from. I really wanted to see that I could get as close to home as possible. So I, uh, my mentor in my residency, she had a connection with a large diagnostic lab. And basically we set up this extension where I could work for this large diagnostic lab, but work inside of a specialty hospital. And it would be the same specialty hospital that my husband was going to be uh, an emergency veterinarian for in Louisville, Kentucky, which we had connections to this hospital prior because my husband did his internship there. But Louisville, Kentucky is not in Tennessee, but it's close enough to Tennessee. Yeah. So I ended up going and working for um, this diagnostic lab and it was a neat setup because I got to be, again, inside the specialty hospital. I had my own office in there, but I worked for the diagnostic lab, not the specialty hospital. So I would get shipped boxes of slides shipped to me each day. And I would read those cases from outside the hospital. But then I would also read the cases from inside the hospital from the specialists and emergency veterinarians there. For me personally, that was really great because I do like being involved in cases more than just kind of being stowed away in a lab and like not around any clinicians. I really love being able to go out and talk to them about their cases and be part of the the think tank of what's happening with the patients. So that was a fun experience for me. And I got a ton of experience with cytology because I, I read a lot of cases every day. Oh, wow. That I mean, that just goes to, to back to the saying I like to say is it never hurts to ask, right? <laughs> you know, exactly. Try to come up with what would work well for you and pitch it. Just because mm-hmm. it doesn't exist now doesn't mean it can't. Yeah, so wow, that that's that's fantastic. So what was next? So you, you have this position. It it seems to fit your life the moment. But what was kind of? I mean, we all change, right? Our our family situations may change. Our interests may change. We may just 
want to change. <laughs> um, so what was kind of the the progression for you? Yeah, I love that you said at the end there, we may just want to change. Just yeah. side note, that's become one of my personal, you know, when I talk to younger veterinarians or vet students, I think we oftentimes think that things have to be bad in order to change what we're doing. You know, our, our job, our state we live in, our life circumstance. And that's not, you know, it may seem like, okay, duh, obvious, but I think that we really get in this cycle of, I can't change my job. My job's fine. You know, yes, you can. You can you can move on to other things that might have interest to you. So for whatever reason, I found that to be not as intuitive as you would think it would be. And so in that hopefully, you know, people hear that and go, oh, okay, <laughs> it doesn't have to be bad to change. But yeah, for my next step, I went on to, so where was I at here? So I'm in I'm working for this diagnostic lab and enjoying it. So in that same, in that same theme, you know, there was nothing bad with that job. Like I, I was, I was enjoying it. You know, of course there were good and bad days, stressful days, not stressful days, just like anybody else. But about not long into that job, I really started to miss teaching. So there was not a lot of teaching involved in that job. And it's something I really enjoyed. It's something during my residency I did a lot of, and I didn't really get the opportunity to do that in my current job as it was. So I started doing a lot of online teaching through social media. They really started small. I wasn't thinking anything of it. I was just sort of like, I want to share these cool things that I'm seeing with other people in the veterinary profession and and just share this because it'll fill my teaching cup. So I did that. I started doing a lot of social media teaching, which I have since it on and do a ton of it now on, on social media and other learning platforms. So we can kind of get into that. But at this point, this was just an outlet for me to do some teaching. So I did that while I was working in this job. So then I started, I created a couple of online courses. People were asking me, do you do any formal teaching and online where we can get C credits? And I didn't at the time, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't, you know, I'm thinking, well, that sounds neat, but how do you do, how do you do that? At this point, we had had our first baby. So I was very busy, you know, a lot going on. And I kind of put that thought aside, but it kept nagging at me, kept thinking, this sounds cool. I should try to figure this out. So again, back to Google, I just started kind of getting curious, like what, what is an online course? I mean, literally it started with that. How do you make an online course? Those progressed from there learned the basics and started working on that at night when I was home from work and when the baby was asleep. And uh, eventually had these two courses that I was able to offer to veterinarians and veterinary technicians for continued education. So fast forward, we hit 2020. Everybody knows what happened in 2020. For me personally, aside from the fact that the world was kind of, you know, not kind of, was shutting down. I was pregnant with my second child. At this point, I had my full-time job and um, I was managing my online courses and my social media teaching and had a two-year-old at the time and was about seven months pregnant. Everything shut down. I had to come home just as everybody else did. Luckily for me, I could work at home. So I was very blessed for that. But it was very difficult because my husband was still working outside of the house. You know, he's an ER veterinarian, so he was working in the hospital. I was home with my very pregnant, very uncomfortable self, my two-year-old and a full workload. So it was a tough time, but I kind of just buckled down and dealt with it like we all did. Really, at that time, I was like, 
this new baby is coming. Like we started thinking we want to move closer to home, but it was kind of just a pipe dream. We really didn't take it seriously, but then she was born and all of a sudden we got very serious about it. We were like, let's, you know, we've been talking about this. We've never really taken it seriously, but we really want to move closer to home, even closer to our parents. Like we need help. <laughs> Things just feel very, you know, you know how everybody felt during that time. You just feel like kind of, you need your people around you as much as you can have people around you. So daughter was born and she was a couple months old and we decided to pick up and in the middle of a pandemic and move to Tennessee, which was for the career path of things was an interesting process because long story short, I ended up uh, resigning from my full-time job and deciding to be uh, full-time in the, all the other things that I had started. So my entrepreneurial stuff, my online courses and having the freedom then to do some of the other things that I had interest in creating that I just at the time didn't have time to do. So that was really neat. It was a leap of faith for me because, you know, I was making financially enough to feel comfortable that it wasn't a just a totally irresponsible decision to make the leap from my full-time job to my entrepreneurial endeavors. But it also, you know, it's different when you, when you're kind of going from that security of insurance and, you know, schedule like to your own thing was a a little bit scary, but that was the next step. So there's more past that, but that was the, that was the progression of, of what happened after then. Yes. So when you said you, you started teaching on some social media, I'm guessing this was that around the 2018 where you started the Facebook group, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And is, is this the, the Facebook group where it was uh, the, the veterinary cytology coffee house? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. well, I'm fascinated by this group because we've had conversations about the Facebook group because this did kind of really start the, the process, it sounds like. So right now, Mm -hmm. I looked at the number this morning. This Facebook group has (laughs) 66.8 thousand members. And I mean, I don't even know if there's that many veterinarians. So fun fact, my numbers were a little off. There are over 100,000 veterinarians in the United States. But in the scheme of things, there aren't really that many of us. If you compare our numbers to a local attendance from a Taylor Swift concert in Chicago, we would represent less than half. So that said, over 66,000 members of a Facebook group is still pretty impressive. So let's get back to the conversation. So, I mean, this is probably a mix of veterinarians, veterinary technicians, lots of veterinary people in this group. And just talking to you about this group... I am so impressed because creating a community like a Facebook group is, it's no joke. It's, it's hard. It's a lot of work. And when you get a bunch of people talking about things, you're going to have differing opinions. And yet you established a community that was very supportive. And in fact, you say it basically ran itself because individuals would help other individuals. So can you, because I think this is really important that to whether it's running a clinic, I mean, that's a community. So what have you learned from the Facebook group and really establishing a very large group of people that are helping each other? You, you've set this really wonderful culture. So can you can you speak to that? 
We would like to thank our sponsor, VetBadger, the all-in-one practice management software that puts relationships first. Created by working veterinary parents, VetBadger provides all the communication, team workflow, and medical management tools you need to run an efficient practice and get home to the relationships that matter most. In support of parents in VetMed, VetBadger will be offering a signed copy of the book, Pregnancy and Postpartum Considerations for the Veterinary Team by Emily Singler to everyone who registers for a demo between Mother's Day, May 12th, and Father's Day, June 16th. To register, visit VetBadger.com and find the link in the description below. Yeah, sure. That's been a very interesting process for me because I have no, I have no, you know, formal training in community building. I now consider myself a community builder, but definitely didn't go into this thinking that's what was going to happen. I had no idea. I literally started this group and just as any other group starts, you know, with a few people and then it just grew from there. So first, you know, the numbers really, I feel like are a testament to how uncomfortable people are with cytology, how much they need in that, in that world of cytology. But I also think that there, well, I know it developed a reputation of being a really, a really good space for people to be in, whether they had interest in psychology or not. I, I had comments back, you know, I get feedback all the time. Like I want to be in this space because I've heard really great things about it. I know, you know, there's so much toxicity on Facebook, like, and I know that this is a place that I can go and not get that. I get comments all the time. Like this is the only reason I get on Facebook anymore. And these are really cool things to hear because just to your point, it really reflects that there's a culture here of safety, of friendship, of I can come here, I can learn, I can share. And I, I don't have to worry about feeling like I'm going to be judged or like people are going to say mean things to me. And so how did we get there? I've had a lot of time to really look back and, and again, this was not necessarily intentional. So it's interesting to reflect back on like, how did that happen? I think it's multifactorial. Of course, I can reflect on my own actions in it. I'm sensitive to this because I don't ever want it to sound like I think, well, here's all the great things I did to make this possible. (laughs) But if I look back and think, what did have an impact? What did I do? If, you know, if I can reflect on my own actions, what did I do to, or what, or does it have anything to do with me? I don't know, you know, just really thinking about uh, back on it. I think one of the things that was super important from the beginning was setting the intentions of the group very clearly in terms of how we act to each other. There was never any ambiguity about what the expectation was. However, delivering those expectations, the way that they were delivered is really important too. So not saying, here's a list of rules and here's how you're going to act. It's just here, you know, it's the way that you use words and writing, especially on social media, it's easy to misread things. So I personally am very emotive. I use emojis, I use exclamation points. I try to make sure that the the way that I actually am talking comes through in the way that I'm writing. So I'm very, very conscientious of the way that I write things um, and how they could potentially be perceived. And I am personally communicating with people in the group. I'm writing a certain way so that they they understand that it's a safe space so that they don't feel intimidated by me just because I'm a specialist, that they feel comfortable giving their own opinions, even if they're wrong, you know, because there there is discussion there and there's oversight there so that we can, you know, what are your thoughts on this? 
and then there's going to be guidance from from somebody who may have more experience there but it's a it's a guidance thing it's not here to shame you or make you feel silly about what you just said it's creating a safe space for learning and for communication and sharing through modeling so i think that that really had a lot to do with it is being really involved in the group communicating a certain way with people and having people see that what's really neat that's developed over time is when when i can see people writing some of the same kind of phrases i use that's how i know that there's like actually a culture in there you know like when it's established kind of the way we you know when you say like this is what we do here like this is you know or like for example i i repetitively say like safe space give us your thoughts you know just continually reiterating that even in micro conversations, not even necessarily at a big global level. And then I see other people writing to their colleagues, safe space, like, you know, you're safe here. Like you don't have to worry about your opinion. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, you know, really it's just that continual reiteration of setting your expectations of what you want your group to be. And that's really what's happened over time because if there's ever been a time and there's been some, you know, circumstances, but if there's ever been, especially early on where the group is still learning, what do we do here? How do we communicate with each other? If there are ever times that there was just blatant, like disrespect or just blatant, like clearly just not an okay comment, I personally will delete it. And if it's bad enough, the person is immediately removed from the group. If it's, you know, if I look at it and I see this person might be hurting or there might be something that's like underlying this that doesn't necessarily necessitate them being removed from the group. I would reach out to them and have a conversation. But honestly, that didn't come up that often because as you mentioned, the group starts to self-regulate when people understand how you act there. If everybody's being kind, it's really difficult to be the person who isn't. So it just, um, it establishes over time. Yeah. And, And again, I think that can also apply to in a clinic, even mm-hmm. in a household, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. if the parents uh, kind of establish the, the culture of the family, the children should, you know, follow those. You'll you'll hear your kids, I'm sure, repeat things you've said. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. So I, I think that's fantastic. Hi, we'll be back with the second half of the show after this quick break. But first, I wanted to take a moment and thank you for listening to the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. If you're enjoying the show, the best way to support us is to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us to reach more listeners and we really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And now back to the episode. So from Facebook group and pandemic and you're you're wanting to dive more into some of these entrepreneurial endeavors in the middle of all this is a pocket pathologist as well so how did how did that start and how how was that growing yeah so i've i've spun up a, a number of things over the years that have like i said it's been cool to be able to do this full time now because i get to explore other things that i think are helpful and just sort of you know i know you're like this too just sort of sit in your thoughts and and be creative about what kinds of things you can do to help. That's always my number one thing too. We've talked a lot about that is what can I do to serve um, and be helpful. So pocket pathologists came from one of the things that was became very obvious in this Facebook group over the years, because it's been several, you know, four years, however long since 2018. Yeah, four years since starting that. 
there's clearly a large need for in-house cytology assistance from a from an expert. So this this group became a lot of people posting cases needing help. Now that group has never been the intent of that group has never been to be a diagnostic service. It's always been to be a educational space. People will post cases because I think there is a lot of learning that can come from seeing your own case and having somebody help walk you through it and and then having other even if it's not your case being able to read about what that you know, what that thought process was. But through that, it became clear, why are people posting here? You know, not to say they shouldn't be, but why are they? They're they're posting here. Why aren't they sending these cases out to a pathologist? And I think we all know that not every client can afford to send their cases out to a pathologist. Huge number of cases being posted. And so I was like, what is this? There's clearly some kind of there's something going on here that there may be a lot more cases not being sent to a pathologist than any of us think. So another problem specifically in cytology is I think it's just one of those areas that a lot of people do not feel comfortable with. It's just an area that I think is especially challenging and we don't tend to learn a ton of it in school. And so you get out and practice and then it's one of the modalities that you're then stuck trying to interpret something that you feel really uncomfortable with because you can't send your case out to a pathologist. And why can't they send their cases out to a pathologist? Well, a lot of times it's financial, which I posted some polls and, you know, my hypothesis there was, was confirmed that a lot of times it is financial. And, you know, the, the vet then is in a really uncomfortable position because they, they need to have some idea of what they're looking at so that they can know next steps. Basically, I found they need help. They need some uh, less expensive option for having a pathologist's opinion on their case. And even if it's just, you know, a little bit of backup, like I'm looking at this thing, I think this thing is blasto, but I'm not 100% sure. I just need, you know, kind of some thoughts on this particular thing, like even cases like that. So that's where Pocket Pathologist came from is it's an app-based telecytology service. At its core, it's very simple. The veterinarian submits photos that they take through their microscope ocular and submits them into the uh, custom app that I had developed, which <laughs> we're talking entrepreneurial. I have no tech experience. This was a whole new experience for me working with app developers. And then they submit their case in that app. It goes to the pathologist. The pathologist looks at the photos. There's an in-app chat function. So if the photos are not great, or if we need other additional photos, easy to chat back and forth. And then report is written and submitted in, back to the vet in the app. So that's what Pocket Pathologist is. Because that was one of the business models that you pitched even at the Veterinary Innovation Summit too, correct? Yeah, I did the pitch contest there. It had been, it's been live for about a year. I was presenting kind of our early, our early results with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You definitely are an entrepreneur because you said about a year and you're already with a new business idea, which I'm excited is also, <laughs> at least it's live. The, the website is live. And I was so excited by the thoughts behind it and the initiative that I'm also trying to get involved in your kind enough to, to let me in. Because I, I think a lot of the things you, you've been seeing and talking about also come together in that hive. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's your story. So, so what is yeah. the story and the evolution behind Vet Hive and, and really that the why behind that one? I think 
you're you're right. I've I have kind of a a next thing and a next thing because when do you start? You get these ideas. The problems, <laughs> yeah, and the idea, the things that can help fix them. Then you, you, it's hard not to to like. Okay, now we're going to do this. Um, but you're presenting it really well because I think it has tendency potentially get confusing when you have so many things. But this is exactly the trajectory of how this is all developed. So after pocket pathologist, not after because pocket pathologist is still in existence. It's still, it's thriving and growing every day, which is exciting because that means that people need it. You know, so for, for me as a, as a service provider, that really, it feels good to see that. Vet Hive, and I'll explain to everybody what that is, but it, it came from this really getting um, reflective with myself and sitting down and saying over the years, like, what have you created that has people have really needed and you know what kinds of problems and things do you see that people people being veterinarians have expressed and you know I have a social media addiction I spend way too much time on Facebook and in the Facebook group so I I see things that they're talking about all the time that practitioners are saying you know I need this I need that and and really trying to pick up on those things and and you know it, it kind of has come full circle with with vet hive because with with the Facebook groups, you know, there's there's clearly a need for practitioners to have connections with specialists. Now, there's other avenues for that that exist. You know, we've we've got avenues for that, but what I think is is missing is the convenience and and honestly, the more the relation the relationships with with the specialists, being able to know who you're talking to, really feel comfortable with who those people are, and then also not having specialists just stuck in these sort of isolated spaces having a space where all of the different specialties are together because, you know, kind of again, full circle here with pocket pathologists, I will get to the end of a case as a pathologist and I have, you know, a small list of differentials for whatever it is I'm seeing, you know, say it's mixed eosinophilic inflammation and um, it's a dog with a mass. I'm using actual real life example. This is where this started. This dog had a mass on its vulva and it had mixed eosinophilic inflammation and there's a list of differentials for that, but I, they sent me a picture of the gross lesion and I'm like, whoa, this is weird. I'm thinking to myself, I would love to know what a dermatologist would think about this mass or, or an anatomic pathologist. I don't see these, you know, I see them microscopically. So I really would be awesome if I could, you know, somehow loop in a, a clinical specialist into this conversation where we could all with the GP put the, put our heads together on you know, helping lead the the veterinarian to the best next step and the most likely differential. This all sort of started, I started kind of brewing around thinking, you know, what kind of platform could that could exist where GPs and clinical and clinical specialists and, you know, including pathologists could all live together in uh, one space and talk together about cases and so not only that, not only just talk together about cases, but also have um, very practical continuing education. You know, there's lots of really great continuing education platforms that exist right now. So I don't know that we necessarily need to reinvent the wheel there, but I think that there's a real opportunity to create content by these specialists that are very familiar to the to the community members, you know, that are, I'm creating content, you know me, you know, we were talking about your case just yesterday in, in this, you know, clinical forum. And now you're going to come to my talk, you know, my virtual talk on um, this very practical, relevant topic to you in practice and, and very focused on any continued education being practical, relevant to the practitioner, fun, 
you know, doesn't all have to be so serious. Uh, just, you know, casual, like talking to your friends, you know, just really a, a very warm, exciting place to be. You know, that's kind of what the vision I, this was a very like, not very put together thought in my head, but this is literally what was happening at the time. And so from there, I was able to sort of narrow down like what that could actually look like. And that's what that hive is. It is at its core community. And it's guided, meaning it's it's guided by specialists and area experts. So not all of our area experts are specialists, but highly experienced, trained individuals in certain areas. And that are your friends, you know, that that are we all know each other. You know, that's the that's the goal here is to have everybody feel really comfortable with each other and where veterinarians can come, they can bounce cases off of each other, both peers and specialists. It's not just, you know, come get an answer from, from the specialists or from the experts. It's again, kind of coming back to that whole idea with the Facebook group. It's pulling that, that spirit and that culture into a dedicated space that has regular learning opportunities and a place that you really can feel comfortable. And uh, you don't have to feel alone you know, in practice anymore, because I think there's a lot of issue with isolation. Yes. And in fact, the episode that launched just this week was another entrepreneur. And I, I asked about that. It was it was for mobile veterinarians. And he had mentioned that a lot of them are solo. You know, they it's just them mm-hmm. and their car, truck, you know, whatever vehicle. So I asked, I was like, is there a community for mobile veterinarians that can connect with each other, learn ways of working, ideas to bounce off of, and sometimes just encouragement. That's it too. I think just a place where you don't feel alone, you're mm-hmm. a- and comfortable to a- be curious and ask questions. So I I'm super excited about being able to have a good group of colleagues um, yeah. that we are bouncing off ideas and and just creating this really comfortable happy you know environment yes. and and maybe a happy is, is a kind of weird term it doesn't mean that we we can't address hard conversations but right but right. It, it's more like a a true community yeah and like i said to you earlier i've seen you do it in in facebook i know that we can do this in this platform as well well that's that's part of this is that you know I realized kind of the recipe uh, based on my experience for what works and what doesn't for creating this type of environment. But I can see so much power in not doing this by myself. Mm. That's exactly why this is different with that hive. It, you know, we're, we have so many people already, you know, we're just launching and including you, you know, like very intentionally, choosing the people to be part of this that very much feel the same way. And when I say people, I mean the specialists and area experts, which we're calling our guides. That's a very intentionally chosen word because I feel like it's um, words are important and we're not here to be gurus. We're not here to be, you know, just telling you to refer everything and, you know, just hoarding our knowledge. Like, we're literally here to help you. You know, we're here to guide you, you being the practitioner and each other. You know, we're, we need help from each other too. You know, specialists are still learning. Everybody is learning. We are all learning. We do not know it all. We just have a particular area of interest and an area of, of expertise, but 
we all need help from each other. I learn stuff from GPs all day long. My husband is a GPER vet and he teaches me things all the time. Like I love hearing things from other people's experiences, no matter where they are. Everybody has something to offer and being able to bring other voices in, other specialists and area experts or guides that are going to help really shape this community and that are that feel the same way about these philosophies is so exciting to me because I just know, I, I know with all that energy behind it, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. The coming with a spirit of not only we're excited to share topics that we're interested in, but also we're excited to support. Yeah. And because we believe in this profession and we we want to be there for each other, I think that's the spirit. Yes. And, and of course, the spirit of curiosity as well. Um, All of that together is so exciting. I'm so excited. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. <laughs> So, well, that time flew by. We'll definitely have to to get you back on and maybe with some of the other guides and, and really talk about some other things with the profession. And But before we leave today, the I have a final four questions. And the first yeah. one is, what is something people get wrong about you? Oh, hold on. Oh, so I love to sleep. That usually surprises people, I think, because I I am very active. When I'm awake, I get a lot done. But I love napping and I love sleeping in. I'm a night owl, so I prefer to stay. Like if I had my ideal hours, it would be like sleeping hours would be from probably one o'clock in the morning to like nine in the morning. But I have young kids, so <laughs> that doesn't always work out. <laughs> But usually I end up sleeping like, you know, midnight to six and then I uh, I nap. That's a good thing about working for yourself at home. You can kind of you can work around your nap schedule. But that usually surprises people. That's funny. Yes, it work around the nap schedule. You or your kids, either, you know, both naps. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the second question is, what is a hidden skill or interest that you have? <laughs> okay, this is an easy one for me. Okay. So when I was, uh, I guess I've always sort of had a, a, an entrepreneurial thing about me. I, I, I never would have thought I was going to call myself that, but looking back, it makes sense. So in my residency, I was looking for ways to make money as you know, we all tend to when we're working on those salaries or living on those salaries. So I was dabbling in different things, but I came across this YouTube video. Okay, this is this is weird. Where the person was making miniature food out of polymer clay for dolls. Yes. yes. Okay. So I watched a few of the videos and then I went to Joanne's and got a bunch of polymer clay. And I started creating miniature doll food for American Girl dolls and selling it on Etsy. And they're like hyper-realistic. I mean, they're actually pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Like they look pretty realistic, but that's definitely an unusual and hidden skill I don't talk about a lot, but I'm a pretty good miniature doll food clay artist. Interesting. So do you still have your Etsy store? Do you still do it? So I don't still do it, but my Etsy store still exists. Um, And I have, and my Facebook business page still exists. If you want a good laugh, um, go look at it. It's Katie did miniatures, K-A- T-Y-D-I-D miniatures, if you can find it. 
the funny thing is, is I don't, I've never actually owned an American girl doll. I wasn't a doll kid. And Mm -hmm. in my residency salary, I couldn't go. So like, you have to like model the food, you know, to get people to buy it. So like I had to have a doll to take pictures of with the little food to display it on Etsy, but I couldn't afford an American girl doll. So I bought this knockoff doll. It is wild looking. And so the pictures are (laughs) spooky looking, like not good photos, but I'm trying to display the food. It is really in the the descriptions I had to write for these doll people, like, you know, doll Jenna is enjoying her cheesecake. You know, it's just <laughs> the things you do, you know, but yes, well, it sparks your creative it mind. People bought it. It was, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it then, was, it was fun. It was actually fun. To me. That is actually really cool. I like that. Question number three is what is something on your bucket list? Bucket list. I can tell you things that aren't skydiving. We'll never do that. Amen. Um, <laughs> I would say we've been doing a Yeah, not a fan. Uh, we've been doing a ton of traveling. We've been to 13 national parks this year. So I'm on a national park kick. And so I would say visiting all the national parks in their entirety would be on my bucket list. 13 in a year. Sounds like a pretty good. Yeah, piece. we've been doing a ton of travel. We, we, we bought an RV and we've been traveling a lot. I work a lot from the road. Nice. Nice. I love it. And finally, what is something you are most grateful for? My family and my health. I think that's a, that's a generic answer, but it's really true. You know, you see a lot of people, I have a cold right now and I feel very uh, wimpy. (laughs) Um, So I'm always, I'm especially grateful for just being healthy enough to get over this and uh, you see a lot of sad things. And um, I'm just very grateful for all my, um, I have a lot to be grateful for, but yeah, family and health are definitely top of the list there. Yeah. And how old are your kids now? Two and five. Uh-huh. Very young. Lots of adventures. Yeah. We're in the, <laughs> yeah, we're in the thick of the just kind of wild period, I feel like, but I feel like every probably stage it has its own, its own wildness, but they're fun ages. I, I much prefer the toddler stage to like infant stage. I like to be able to talk to them, even if they don't listen to me, I at least know that they can understand what I'm saying. So I prefer it. <laughs> there are many humans at this point. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They say some interesting things, but it's fun. <laughs> this has been the Vet Life Reimagined podcast. Whether you are listening or watching on YouTube, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure you are subscribed to catch all these amazing people in our profession. Also, send this episode to someone you think who would appreciate it. Have a recommendation for someone who would be a good guest? Please reach out on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. There aren't that many Dr. Sprinkles. Until next time, vet lifers.